Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. So thank you for joining us today. Over the last several weeks, we've been pondering this question of how our lives of faith ought to be shaped by the presence of God with us in the person of Jesus. That's the focus of Epiphany. Epiphany Tide focuses on the fact that Jesus came, was born, lived among us, dwelled among us. And so God with us is a foundational aspect of our faith. It's key to us, specifically in the struggles that we face, but also in the glories that we experience in our embodied lives. Because that's one thing that the incarnation kind of dwells upon is that Christ took on human form. He had a body. He has a body. And that really is kind of a mind bender once you start kind of contemplating that, that God dwelled among us in body. And as we follow the story of Christ in the weeks ahead through the season of Lent and into Easter, we continue to investigate how embodying our faith in tangible bodily ways shapes us and forms us in our life, in our journey with God. Good news, you are not just a brain on a stick here today. In other words, it's not just about knowledge acquisition. We're able to work this faith thing out through the things that we do, through the struggles that we have, through the practices that we partake in. And today is Transfiguration Sunday, perhaps not the most well-known among the Christian holidays, but I love speaking on Transfiguration Sunday because it's a foreshadow to the experience that followers of Christ should and will participate in, uh, in our faith journey. There will be points in time in which Christ among us is revealed in dramatic and glorified ways. We begin Epiphany Tide by celebrating, we began Epiphany Tide by celebrating the baptism of Jesus through water and through spirit. And now we conclude Epiphany by celebrating the visible glorification of Jesus through his transfiguration. It's a beautiful end cap. It's a beautiful way to mark this season, recognizing the baptism of Jesus in water and spirit, and now the transfiguration of Jesus in glory. And like baptism and sanctification, the transformation of Christ is a prelude of the transformation that we, all believers, will encounter throughout our lives, ultimately when Christ returns, but also at moments. And I'm kind of calling these moments or naming these moments thin places. In these thin places, we experience the Lord in ways that are life-changing. 
Transformation happens when we encounter God. I was trying to remember, I think it was somewhere around 1998, maybe the year 2000, our church that we were attending at the time that we were involved in, it took all of the leaders, especially, but any from the congregation who was willing to attend, and we did a three-day retreat in the Idaho mountains. And the retreat had a very specific purpose. They called the retreat the Encounter God Retreat. No pressure. <laughs> but... This is the Encounter God Retreat, so good luck. <laughs> you know, we were all excited to obviously spend time with friends in the beautiful mountains. You know, all the fun activities that we would be able to do throughout the day. But the agenda and the focus was made clear of what this retreat was intending to do. And I can't speak to everyone's experience for sure. I mean, I generally know because we were all there together. But for me... The emotions started with ambivalence. Like, you're calling it the Encounter God Retreat? Like, what are you doing? You're setting yourself up for failure. I'm just going to enjoy the food and have fun, right? It started with ambivalence. And then it moved a bit into skepticism as we started our first kind of worship night together. And then as people around me started experiencing God in tangible ways, I probably moved into like a, some guilt and some shame. Like, why wasn't I getting it? Maybe it was my cold, hard heart <laughs> to start. But then finally, even for myself, breakthrough encounter came in. I experienced a touch of love and of healing from God that night that changed me forever. Specifically, I was reminded of numerous moments of pain and abuse that I had experienced as a child growing up that I had totally blocked out. I like, couldn't have even like, remembered the story or told it to anyone. But during those moments of prayer, all of a sudden, wow, why am I remembering this thing I've never remembered before? And then God started healing me of it. It was kind of like a handful of things that I had never processed, that I had never dealt with, that I had never healed from. And God met me in a moment of healing and release. And it freed me from a weight that I hadn't even realized I was carrying. It was like face down on the floor for hours. Tears of joy, tears of sorrow and loss. Just hours spent in the healing presence of God. I still remember even some of the thoughts I had, some of the images that I was imagining, even some of the specific words and prayers I prayed those nights, those days. Those memories, those prayers, those moments, I will carry with me for the rest of my life. They forever marked and changed me. In our lives, there will be moments in which we encounter the presence of God in such a powerful, tangible way that will be forever marked and changed. Perhaps this experience will come as a complete surprise. In other words, something you were not looking for, something you were not anticipating. Perhaps 
It'll be something that you stumble upon during a routine worship service or during your favorite hike in the mountains just as the sun is setting and an epiphany happens. Or perhaps it's during a moment of Bible study or reading your favorite book at the kitchen table. But then there's other times in which we intentionally set aside moments, change our routines, get away to special locations in order to be open to the presence of God. And he is faithful to meet us there, like an encounter God retreat. You know, I'm calling these moments thin places. It's not a very common term, nor is it widely used. But if you look up thin, if you Google thin places, you'll find some articles and some books on this idea. And the interesting thing to me is, like, the articles and books are not necessarily explicitly Christian, but they are all having one thing in common. They describe the moments in which our earthly experience somehow comes closer to the supernatural. In other words, it's the place in which heaven and earth tend to overlap. That is kind of what we're working with today. It's a, it's a moment in which you can taste and see and feel something different in that encounter with God. Today, we'll hear from our lectionary passages as we do throughout this season, and our lectionary passages will be discussing some thin places that people who followed God experienced. Before we get to, into our scripture, let's pray. Mighty God, you spoke to your people in a pillar of cloud as they walked together in the wilderness. So speak to us now through your word that we may hear your calling to us. And out of the wilderness places in our lives and into the new places that you have promised to show us, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We'll beginning. We'll begin in our gospel passage of Matthew for today. This will be Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Let us hear from the word. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and, two, and the two brothers, James and John, and led them high up onto a mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down upon the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. And as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So did you see the thin space in that passage? It's fairly obvious. <laughs> 
But let's begin, you know, as we look at this, I think it helps us to look at the wider picture, again, of this passage. All that was kind of leading up to this moment in which heaven and earth overlapped. The passage begins by reminding us of the timeline that's taking place prior to this miraculous moment. Jesus and his disciples have been in full public ministry mode, right? So Jesus was baptized, you know, an example of a thin place. He spent time away in the desert in which he was tempted and experienced the provision of the Lord. Again, kind of a thin place. Uh, he taught the Sermon on the Mount, arguably another one of those thin place moments. And then he and his disciples have been experiencing miraculous experience after one after another, you know, whether it's healings or signs or wonders, all of these moments in which heaven and earth are overlapping. But the religious opposition to Jesus is now starting to heat up because this new move of God is beginning to threaten the status quo of the current religious system of the day, especially for the Jews. This is a threat. This is not what we expected. Just six days prior to our passage, two very important moments happen. When it says six days prior, these are the two things that happened. First, Jesus uh, has been warning the disciples about the power of doubt and malice and how that power can tend to work among people, quenching the move of the Spirit. You'll remember this. This is kind of like the, the description of the leaven of the Pharisees. Then Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he follows up more specifically, who do you say that I am? And good old Peter chimes up and he says, correctly, <laughs> you are the Messiah. You're the living embodiment of God. To which Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Then, you know, just moments later, maybe it's the next day. From that moment, Jesus began speaking differently to the disciples. He began kind of cluing them in to things that they would be experiencing in the weeks to come. He begins to disclose all that would happen to him as he returned or entered into Jerusalem, that he would be arrested, that he would suffer, that he would be put to death, but that he would rise again on the third day. And our friend Peter thinks that this is totally bogus. He says, no way. We're going to do everything we can to stop that from happening. To which Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Peter goes from being blessed and proclaimed for his insight to being scolded or chastised because he was allowing his personal preference to get in the way of the work of the kingdom. So just six days later, they've all been stewing on these hard times that Jesus has been talking about. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, kind of his inner circle among the disciples, and he takes them to an encountered God retreat. They go to the mountains. They intentionally seek out time and space that breaks up even for, you know, I guess when I imagine the lifestyle of Jesus, it was pretty free. Like there wasn't much of a schedule. He just kind of went and did his things. But even for Jesus and his disciples, there was still the need to break up the routine and get away. A thin place is revealed right in the midst of trial and tribulation, hard news, lament, sadness, frustration, everything falls into perspective 
because of this thin place. At first, as the events are unfolding, we saw in our passage, Peter says, you gotta, you gotta love Peter's impulsiveness here, but he, he wants to build shelters or booths for Jesus and these visions of Moses and Elijah. He's saying like, look, all that you've been talking about, let's forget about that. We just live here now. Let's just live here. This is it. Like, we don't have to leave. And of course, then the voice of God comes from the cloud and he says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And Peter receives the correction. He realizes the error of attempting to craft and shape a move of God other than what heaven has in mind. You'll, if you heard, you know, 10 or a dozen sermons on the transfiguration, each one's probably going to take a different path. Each one's going to kind of focus on a different part of the story. But for me, what God has been impressing upon me this week is that the common outcome of experiencing and encountering God in these thin spaces is the transformation that it enacts in our lives. You see, even for Peter and James and John and Jesus, they were living in a moment in which trials and tribulations, the world was hard and bearing down upon them. Even for the living embodiment of God, Jesus, he was experiencing the weight of what was to come. So Jesus takes his closest friends to meet with God on the mountain, and he's revealing to them that trouble and death do not have the last word. That Jesus and all humanity are heirs to an internal kingdom, a life of glory that has victory over sin and death. That when we encounter the power and will of heaven, all of our earthly experience will be brought into perspective, even when it feels like we're surrounded by trouble, evil, the antithesis to God's will, that all of these things will be brought into perspective. You know, perhaps it helps us when we've gotten out of alignment of God's mercy and love due to fear or due to sorrow or due to sin or due to apathy, that we're brought back into our center through these encounters with God. We're transformed by his glory and we're given discernment and strength to carry on. We're giving permission to heaven <laughs> to release us from the burdens that we carry. And some of the burdens we carry are good. We need to carry these burdens and live in the tension and the lament. But sometimes the burdens we carry are not good. They're not healthy for us. They're weighing us down. Something special happens when we get away from our usual places, our usual routines, and we encounter God. And if this passage is any uh, revelation for us, it says, you know, this might be a life hack or a faith hack for us. I don't know if you've heard of that term, but a life hack, apparently climbing a mountain is what you do. If you want to encounter God, just climb a mountain. You know, uh, it's no coincidence that 
uh, God shows up in kind of dramatic ways when we kind of go out of our way to do things. For some of you, that's the best news you've heard in a long time in church, that you're given permission to go climb a mountain. <laughs> For some of you, you're like filling out your resignation notice now. Like, <laughs> nope, I'm not climbing a mountain. You know, but there's no coincidence that God's glory shows up to Jesus and the disciples when they make space for him. And I think it's also no coincidence that in this case, Moses and Elijah are the forms that are depicted. Of course, you know, there's the fact that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of, and the prophets. And therefore, God says, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, everything Jesus says and does is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So that's the obvious reason. But it's also interesting to me that Moses and Elijah have their own mountaintop experiences. You guys recognize that? Moses, the representation of the law is there, and he has his own experience by climbing a mountain and spending 40 days whereupon he received the law. A cloud appeared and settled on the mountain. The Lord shows up like a consuming fire. It's a dramatic and extreme scene. Let's look at this. This is Exodus chapter 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain. Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there and I will give you the tablets of stone which I have inscribed with the instructions and commands so that you may teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua went out and climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elder, elders, stay here and wait until, for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. When the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared on the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, we know later when he descends the mountain carrying the tablets that his, his countenance has changed. He's glowing. He's like radiating. In other words, people can see that a change had taken place. But here on our mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, also Elijah is there, the representation of the prophets. And in his story of an encounter with God on the mountain, things are a little bit different. There is a storm. There is an earthquake. There is a fire. But Elijah hears, Jesus, hears God in a whisper. First Kings chapter 19 gives us a story. It says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were turned loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a gentle whisper. 
You know, we learn that even though mountains seem to be the common element, at least in these three passages, that our encounters with God will tend to look different from one another. For Jesus, it was a blinding light. For Moses, it was a cloud on fire. And for Elijah, it was a gentle whisper in the midst of chaos. Like, are you noticing like what Elijah is experiencing here? <laughs> like a wind that is tearing this mountain apart, then an earthquake, then a fire. Like, what is going on? And then a gentle whisper. As we stand today in transition of the Christian calendar between Epiphany Tide and Lent, we are invited to move from awe and wonder of God with us into intentional devotion and practice, inviting God to speak, to move, and to transform us in specific mighty ways. We're invited to take our hopes and our dreams and our successes and to bring those before the Lord and to see him multiply those. We're invited to take our pain, our failure, our burdens, and our sorrows and allow God to take those and heal those to redeem those burdens that we carry. And God, in turn, invites us to make space and to make room for him to do what we can to create these moments, these thin places. So in closing, I thought I would bring a few examples of how we might encounter God in making room and seeking out these thin places. The obvious one from our passages today is to go climb a mountain. You have my permission. You know, in all of these examples, I think the thing I'd like you to keep in mind is that there are no absolutes. There is no like right or wrong way. There's no legalistic approach to this. I was having a chat with Becky yesterday and we were talking about how we tend like through maybe our good intentions to like take something that's been good and to turn it into a system, a pattern, a law, a rule. <laughs> like in scripture, Peter's describing how, hey, don't adorn your hair, don't wear fancy clothes, don't wear jewelry. Those things are distractions. And then generations later, even in our experience, even in the Church of the Nazarene, there was a bit of pressure in like the 20s and 30s not to do wedding rings in your wedding. The intention was good. The intention was, hey, you could use that to be extravagant or not extravagant, to give to the poor, to help the poor. But we turn these good ideas and we just kind of chew them up and turn them into legalistic practices. So in all of these things I'm sharing today, hear that, hear that caveat, that it's not only about going to the mountain. Melissa, my wife, does not love climbing mountains. <laughs> but being in nature is one of the primary ways in which she experiences the presence of God. It's the most common way in which she hears and encounters him in the in a thin place. When we get away, when we change our schedule, our location, when we take the time to visit a special lake and sit and watch, or to walk our favorite path, or to spend a weekend at a friend's cabin, we open ourselves to encountering God. Honestly, it's kind of miraculous how it works. It works. I can't explain it. We also encounter God when we intentionally make room for him in the simple, simple, simple moments of our life. 
uh, kind of the repetition of simple there is, you know, it helps to simplify our surroundings when we do that. Turning off the TV, putting the phone in another room, just whatever it is to like change our mindset in this moment that we're going to spend in silence or in prayer or in reading scripture. During Lent, we might be encouraged to engage in fasting or giving or other special practices that frame for us this season of devotion with the Lord. For some of you, having the right chair is important. The right pen and paper that you can journal, that's like a big deal. For lighting your favorite candle, you know, setting the mood for this encounter with the Lord. And it's, no, it's by no accident that we tend to gravitate towards these things. You know, traditionally, we see these sensory enhancements of worship used throughout the centuries. There are churches that will use incense during their meetings, and that's a way to recognize and to recognize the presence of God. Of course, uh, lighting of candles, using art and music that enhances our worship, engaging in our senses is a natural way that we encounter God. Even the architecture and the design of our churches and our sanctuaries is important. These are important ways for opening our hearts and making the distance between heaven and earth come a little bit closer. For some of us, one of the most surefire ways to encounter God is to get up, get outside, and go do something for somebody. In other words, an act of service or a help or an act of mercy, an act of compassion. Engaging intentionally in civil or social action on God's behalf. It's moments like volunteering for faith family hospitality, spending a night outside of your normal home and spending it here with families. Spending an afternoon caring for a sick friend who's at home. Having an unhurried conversation with someone who is lonely. Volunteering an afternoon at the food bank or other social service opportunity. In these ways, for some of you, this is how you come closest to God, by acting out your faith. And of course, we encounter God through intentionally engaging with him in corporate worship. Whether it's a normal Sunday or by t attending a special worship night, God inhabits the praises of his people. And coming into those moments with expectation, even on such a routine day as this, it helps open your heart, your mind, to encountering God in a fresh way. By now, most of you probably have heard of this revival that's taking place upon campuses around our country. It began at Asbury University in Kentucky. These communities are experiencing a historic move of God. Have you heard about this? Nobody? Jay, you're going to have to look it up. It's all over. Unfortunately, thanks to our globally connected world through the internet, there's also all kinds of opinions and like people talking about these revivals and maybe even saying, is this really such a good thing? I say, it's a good thing. Who are we to, who do we to talk? Man. So I thought it's helpful to hear some words from Sarah Baldwin. She's the vice president of student development at Asbury University. And here's what she says. Last Wednesday, February 8th, at 11, 
the Holy Spirit filled Hughes Auditorium during our normal chapel service and has not let up. Again and again over the last 11 days, people report experiencing God like they've never experienced him before. Early on, thick clouds gathered on the campus. It felt like God was visibly, tangibly, like inhabiting the campus in a, in a very tangible way. Um, many testimonies from college students about release from anxiety, depression, even suicidal thoughts have been shared. A generation is being healed. Words that people keep using to describe their experience are love of God, joy of Jesus. I've never had an experience like this before. I've never felt God's presence like this before. Again, uh, Sarah Baldwin says, we're really tired. <laughs> Pray for us for strength and discernment. Overall, we are really thankful and really joyful about what God is doing. It's hard to leave at night. Even at 1 a.m., we have to push each other outside the door because we need sleep. We're all feeling the tender mercy of God and what he's doing in our midst. From the first days when we were there, taking it all in, we heard with our own ears and saw with our own eyes and verified with our own hands, the word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it. And now, now we're telling others about it so that they can experience it as well. The communion of being with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for telling others is simply this. We want you to enjoy it too. Your joy will increase our joy. Amazing. When our lives feel the toughest, when we're in the most need for hope, when we're in the most need for answers, looking for opportunities in which we can encounter God is vital. Jesus and his closest friends were anxious over the coming moments of Holy Week, the violence specifically that was coming to Jesus. Moses carrying the burden of the Israelite people and their, man, their fickle hearts. Like the people were constantly pushing against everything God was trying to help them with. Moses carrying this burden, like even in that passage, you notice he said, okay, look, I'll leave Aaron and her behind. Talk to them. Like, I've got it all set up. You guys are good. I'm just going to be on this mountain for 40 days. The burden Moses must have been carrying. And he experienced God's peace. The backstory of Elijah going up to that mountain is he ran for his life. His life was being threatened. He was threatened to be murdered by Ahab and Jezebel for the words that he was speaking about God's move and what God wanted. And these kings and queen were not willing to do that. And they wanted to murder him. So he went and hid in a cave. And after hiding in that cave for a while, God shows up. When we experience 
the hardest moments in our lives. Encountering God can make all the difference. Moses and Elijah were transformed by their encounters. Jesus was revealed in his glory. Of course, the glory that Jesus had in him was just revealed through his transfiguration. But where did the transformation take place? To Peter, James, and John, who were in the presence. When we encounter God in these thin places, we're reminded that no circumstance we face, no matter how bleak or final, can overshadow the glory of life that we carry. Through encountering God, we are given all that we need to carry on and endure. When we encounter God in thin places, we're refined, we're purified, we're empowered, we're transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And our imperfections, our shortcomings are washed away, healed, redeemed, and we take on more fully the designed nature in which we are created. When we encounter God in the thin places, all other motives, distractions, cares, and worries fade away, and we simply are invited into communion and relationship with God. And as a result, we experience life, and we are fulfilled, and we dwell for just a little bit in a thin place between heaven and earth. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your love for us, your healing, your compassion, your mercy. God, for some of us, we've experienced moments in which the distance between heaven and earth was made thin. And we encounter you in a way that we will never forget. For some of us, Lord, perhaps we have not had that experience. We're hungry. We're desiring to share in that story. God, either way, in this season, maybe in this day, looking ahead to Easter, God, we commit ourselves to making space, making room for you, encountering you in the thin places between heaven and earth. God, so that we may love you, we may be in relationship with you, we may commune with you, but Lord, also so that we can be transformed and God, release our cares and our worries and our burdens to receive your discernment, your direction, your guidance in our lives. And Lord, most importantly, so that we can enact the justice and the mercy and the work of your kingdom of heaven among us. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.